Hello everybody, welcome back to the Glory Glory Man United podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Quinn, and joining me today is special guest, Phil De Bruyne from Beyond the Pitch. How's it going, Phil? Oh, good, mate. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, especially after that result at the weekend. You know, United beating Wolves 2-0 and keeping Liverpool at bay. So Liverpool won this evening, so we need to keep this up and get these six points and get over the line, make sure our better rivals don't get ahead of us in the league. Isn't that right, Phil? I would say so, mate. Um, it's a Monday, and I'm not in a drunk tank, I'm not arrested, and you United gets three points, so it's a good day. <laughs> um, so, I'm going to talk about um, the ownership situation and uh, some of the transfer rumours that have been doing the rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, according to the reports that we were reading last week, and, and much of the British media, uh, any of are huge favourites to buy Manchester United. Um, I'm not... 100% convinced of that yet. Um, what's your information then, Phil? Well, the thing is about information and all this process is it's been clearly briefed with an agenda, with an intent to deceive um, or an intent to present a certain media narrative. I'm quite certain the Qataris are the ones that briefed about Jim Ratcliffe and the structure of his bid, um, about him retaining. Glazer part ownership and you know they knew how that would play with United fans. Of course they were they they've both been at it, you know, you know, pretty much from bed statement when they put their beds in about restoring the football club back to a community asset and being custodians of the fans and all this and investing in the football club and transfers and everything else and infrastructure and all this easy targets. So it's really hard to know exactly what's correct. But what would be correct in saying is that both parties are extremely confident that... I have to say I've heard this more from many of us than I have from the Qataris, but what would surprise me about the Qataris in this, to be honest, would be if they were going to lose this bid, I think it would be easier for them to withdraw from the process than to lose it based on valuation. I think if they had reached the point where Jim Ratcliffe had appraised the club and was willing to pay for the club at a price point the Qataris weren't, surely it would make more sense for them to say we're no longer interested in buying the football club and let it go to Jim Ratcliffe. Rather than, you know, because key to getting Jim Ratcliffe's bid up is having both of them involved. Key to getting the Qataris bid up is having both of them involved. If the Qataris pulled out there's no incentive for Jim Ratcliffe to continue to increase his price and vice versa. So it's hard to see what would be in it for the Qataris to remain in a process where they are going to lose on that pen at a certain price point. But they're not stupid people. I mean, what you need are being you know, appraised at and what's being paid for are two very different things. A football club's not worth anywhere near what either party's willing to pay. And maybe there's some issues with who's funding the bid from the Qataris and who's fronted it in terms of how badly they want United. I mean, there's no doubt that on United will bring greater scrutiny to people that don't want scrutiny. So that is undeniable. So maybe there's question marks in the Qataris end about do is this something they really want? Um, 
and yeah it would be correct to say that Ineos have been very confident for about a week and a half now that they're going to get preferred better status either way this thing has to come to an end uh, has to come to an end very soon um, you know even if the bid even if it was announced tomorrow that someone got preferred better status and everything went through as smoothly as possible you're looking at July before someone would get the keys at the earliest that's six weeks away which is completely and absolutely ridiculous for any football club where the summer is fundamental to your season to making progress um, and Ten Hag will be enormous uncertainty not just Ten Hag but the staff at the football club but everyone else it's just ridiculous I mean many of the clubs in the Premier League are making moves in the transfer market already and you're saying that we won't have new owners in place until July. I mean, how exactly are we going to conduct any transfer business between now yeah. and July? Up until Brantford, mate, Eric Ten Hag had been given a £50 million centre back, whatever Martinez called, £55 million. Um, a £12 million left back and a free transfer. So, he was really only backed in the last two weeks of that window. He wasn't backed in January. So Eric Ten Hag has had essentially a two-week window to work with since he's been at Manchester United. So um, it's nothing new. They don't care. The Glazers do not care. I mean, these are things you and I care about, but they don't. So... Um, It'll be another situation just like it was last summer where you're not getting first choice players, where you reduce the players who are in complex situations with the football clubs that maybe don't really want to leave. Um, where uh, or there's a reason why they want to sell them. And, um, you know, they've already fallen behind in the Alexis McAllister race, you know, which is mm -hmm. not just him, but other players that they met with in January that they wanted. But... You know, how can you make promises to agents when you don't know who's writing the check? So you think we won't sign a single player now until July? No, I wouldn't say that. Well, until July, of course. You know, I mean, there's no way. Who's writing the check? I can only Joe imagine... Joe Blazer approves every signing that would make. No matter how small. How can Joe Glazer approve a signing right now? I mean, even if... There was no takeover. If you remember, you needed a hemorrhage in cash. Right? So, there's no money at the football club to fund signings without investment or a, a club sale. That's why they didn't spend in January. I can only imagine how frustrated Ten Hag would be. Well, what do you think? With that. He's essentially in, in Ralph Ranyard territory. He's essentially in Ralph Ranyard territory. Where he's a glorified babysitter. Because he can't choose who can come in, and he can't choose who can go out. And it's no surprise that you know you need to have looked great in the last four to five weeks. Um, you know, so uh, the incentive structure is not there anymore. Um, all that stuff. I mean, I think Ten Hag would accept if the Glazers were to say to him tomorrow morning, "Look, you know, you'll have new owners by mid July. They won't be perfect. He'd be okay with that." But, you know, this this um, limbo that he's in right now where, you know, recruitment staff can't do their jobs, you know, even the most basic things like devising a budget for the summer tour on who can go, who can't go. You can't do any of these things. 
it's an absolute disgrace. Um, Dresden here says, what's your hunch, Phil, on who the new owners will be? Uh, do you fancy it'll be any of us now? Well, here's the thing. It would be a massive surprise to me if the Qataris were just found out on Friday that Jim Ratcliffe valued the club higher than them. They will have known from day one. I mean, there's no way the people inside that bid process weren't notifying Qatari and Jim Rat Qataris and Jim Ratcliffe on where they needed to be to buy the football club. I mean, it's in the Glazers' interest to do that, it's in Rain's interest to do that. And anyone that's been part of any private closed bid process know that's just how business gets done. So they will have known where they need to be. If they're not going to up their offer by you know, Friday, and I don't think they will. So, um, you know, I, I would say that Jim Ratcliffe is probably the favourite right now. Um, uh, and, but I'm, and, I, and I'll be honest, I'm surprised at that because I thought the Qataris would end up um, going to a price point that Jim wouldn't. Well, it's been well documented that Joel, or not Joel, um, Avram Glazer has been in London this weekend um, and he was at a hotel apparently that is owned by Qatar and we also know that Ineos have a HQ in London. Uh, do you think mm -hmm. that tells us that this process is, is going to come to an end this week? I don't know if it tells us it's going to come to an end this week, but clearly, you know, this can't go on in perpetuity. This is something that has to come to an end very, very soon. United are reaching a point where they need major cash injection to fund what they need to do this summer. You know, there's issues with the stadium even being safety compliance. So the Glazers are really at a point now where you have to devise summer budgets, and that's going to mean they have to find money somehow. You know, I mean... The Athletic did an article that sold they were losing around 104 million a year. If you look at the projections, the financial projections going back, you know, a couple of years ago up to 2025, they're absolutely horrendous on current trends. Even if they qualify for the Champions League, it really won't change much because most of that gets consumed by player wage increase, budget, um, bonuses, and everything else. I mean, yes, it helps commercially, but. Um, you know, for the Glazers, it really doesn't change that much. So they're at a point where if they want to hold on to the football club, they've got to find money. Yeah, definitely. It took me by surprise what you said there, that, you know, the the takeover won't be completed by July, meaning we can't sign anyone until July. That's Well, that's I mean, look, if, if the editor in the process of being sold, this is one of the things that I think the Glazers are also thinking about. If they sell to the Qataris, there's a possibility that that could get dragged out for months, right? Maybe six months before they pass a fit and proper test on the background checks. The Glazers would have to fund the football club in that in that time period. They would have to give Ten Hag money this summer um, that they don't have. Richard Arnold told you that a year ago, whenever he did that meeting, that uh, this impromptu meeting. Um, he said, look, the money's there this summer, after that's not there. Richard said, you can't go to our training ground and say, say, where's that billion we've wasted? You could go to Florida, man, and ask where's that billion and a half they took out, because it's right there. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, he's been telling you this, you know, United have been looking at selling the football club at least since last July, August. Um, so, you know, 
even if it goes through today, you know, I, I, I'm quite confident that it would, would be able to say to agents, look, we'll have the money in July, just hang tight, and, play, and players would do that. But right now they can't do that. They can't make that promise. So until until there's some firm clarification on what's actually going to happen, nobody can say anything with any high degree of confidence. So when you're talking about you know, looking at this player, looking at that player, it's total nonsense. Um, I'm, I have no doubt that you have players they're, they're very interested in, but you know the the business, you know, as a business, is not in a position to buy anyone until there's some sort of. I mean, if the Glazers had revenue to fund this summer, they wouldn't be selling, right? If they had money to continue to run the football club with it being their personal enrichment tool where they're not maxed out the credit card, where it's no longer hemorrhaging cash, where it's still making a profit, the club wouldn't be for sale. So, you know, it's at a point where they can't take any more money out, they can't borrow any more money, they can't, you know, use a, a company credit card anymore to sign players. They're already massive in arrears for previous years. So there's a reason why United didn't send a striker in January. For exactly the same reason they can't say anyone this summer without major investment. Yeah, it seems as if they're just uh, delaying the process because they want to bleed as much money out of Ineos or of course. Uh, the Qataris as possible. Um, Kieran Kennedy here says, will there be delays in the takeover due to Ineos owning Nice? Surely that will cause a few issues. Well, uh, if I remember correctly, um, you know, Red Bull own two football teams, Watford and Udinese are owned by the same people, so surely that, that won't be an issue. Look, it would be really easy for Jim Ratcliffe to transfer title and ownership of a football club, um, and this will be something that he will have known about right away, so no, I don't see it being an issue. Yeah, one of the other directors at Ineos could become the director at United or Nice, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be Jim himself, they can easily... Mm -hmm. Uh, work their way around the UEFA rules on that. Um, now, obviously, we don't know who's sending the checks at the moment, but I'm sure Ten Hag and his staff do have names in mind, um, and a lot of those stories are appearing in the media at the moment. Uh, one name that keeps coming up again and again is Kim Min Jae at Napoli. He seems to be an excellent defender. He seems to be the favourite at the moment to come in and replace Harry Maguire, who is surely going to lead the football club this summer. Would you be excited by that signing at centre back? I don't think that will happen. You Simply don't because Harry Maguire's fourth choice centre back. Kim Min Jae isn't coming to United to be fourth choice centre back. So, um, no third choice centre back is Lindelof, right? So if Kim Min Jae comes to United, he's coming to start. So, uh, he's a very, very, yes. very good defender. He's very much in demand. And I just don't see United saying to Kim and Jay, come and sit on the bench and play, you know, what did Harry Maguire start five games up until yep. about two months ago, about a month ago before Martinez got injured. You know, so you're going to take Maguire's place. Maguire started five games up until about, um, until Martinez got injured. And I, I just don't see that happening. I, I think that more realistically is United will send a young defender. If I could just come in there. Um... I think he'll be brought in to be a starter because, okay, he was replacing Maguire in the squad, but he's going to have a bigger role than Maguire, I think. Because uh, let's face it, Varane is out injured a lot of the season, so he's going to get a lot of game time. You know, Martinez has, has had his injury problems now, and 
I think at the very least he'll be a third choice centre back and he'll play a lot of games because of Varane's injury record. So I see well, I don't know, but I mean, in. I think you know if you look at Varane, Varane started, he missed half of the Premier League season the year before, right? So this season, to be fair, he's been largely fit. He's also retired from international football. So if you look at Varane's number of games this season, let me see here. Um, I'm just pulling up. So, you know, he's looking at games, games played, uh, appearances, Rafael Varane. Um, you know, he's played 20 games this season. Right? Started 20 games. So, you know, um, and, and, and that's just in the league. So, yeah, he does get injured. Martinez gets injured. But the problem is, is that when you're bringing in centre-backs, uh, Maguire isn't even in a isn't even fourth choice centre back he's competing nope. for one position and that's the right footed centre back position so even when Varane or Martinez is injured he only starts if Luke Shaw isn't fit so uh, Martinez you know Kim and Jerry would be, be, be competing I think he's a right footed centre back could be wrong on that but whether he's right footed or left footed if he's left footed he's certainly not starting when Martinez is fit which for the most part is every week. If he's right footed centre back, you know Lindelof's done an exceptional job there. To be fair, you know, it, uh, and I think that you need to have other more pressing needs around the field that I think would get more of a tension. Given that they're going to have to be smart with their budget. I think you rate Lindelof a lot more highly than I do. Let me ask you this. How many clubs do you know in the Premier League have better third choice centre backs? I haven't really thought about it, but third choice centre back. One gonna say, one gonna say to you is that. I mean, you look at really, like really, really, Kanate, right? I, I don't. I, I mean, you take I, a what, look what, at Arsenal, Ben White, right? Um, they're sitting there with. Um, uh, Rob Holding, third choice centre back. Rob Holding should be playing for QPR, right? You take a look at uh, Spurs. You know, you know, you're talking uh, Young Sanchez. This the Colombian centre back. You know, over Christian Romero. I mean, mate, Victor Victor Lindelof is a very very good player. Victor Lindelof has come in and been exceptional in the games that he's played. You not all games, it? not all. Well, will you tell me what, when, 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 was it, when was his last bad game? Um, like one of the one of his really good games was no, no. When was his last bad game? Was exceptional in that game. When was his last um, bad game? Were you well, Victor Lindelof's a major problem here? Because I can't think of one. Certainly not this season. Uh, Trying to think, uh, it wasn't the most recent game. Mate, it should be obvious now. It should come to your head right away because I could tell you when Maguire's last bad game is. I could tell you when Veghorst's last bad game is. I could tell you when Anthony Martial's last bad game is. I could tell you when a whole host of players aren't good enough to play United when their last bad game was. The two defeats to Brighton and West Ham, particularly the Brighton game, I don't think Lindelot was very good in those games. Hold on a minute. United kept a clean sheet in both of those games, essentially. They made two major individual errors in both of those games, none of which were Victor Lindelof's. 
right? One was David De Gea throwing the ball in the net. And neither of those mistakes happen if you need to score goals. When you don't score goals, nervousness creeps into your defending. Neither of these mistakes are even mentioned. None of those have anything to do with Victor Lindelof. And none of them would be stopped by Kim Min Jae coming to the football club. So for me, he's one of the best third choice centre backs in the league. This is a position where I feel in are in great shape. They have other pressing needs that need to get addressed. They're going to have to fix the forward line, not just once, but maybe twice. And I think they need two strikers, right? Um, I think they need another player beside Casemiro. You know, we talk about other midfielders, you know, needing protectors, right? Needing other players to play beside them to get the best out of them. You hear this at other football clubs, you hear this at Chelsea, you know, um, Enzo Fernandez needs a partner. Well, why doesn't Casemiro need one? Imagine Casemiro with a top-class player beside him where he's not getting exposed every week, where he's getting bookings. So you need to need another player, like an Alexis McAllister, that can play in a pivot, that can play in an attacking midfield role. Um, they need another, at least two forwards, in my opinion, possibly another right-back. There's an alternative to Dallow. And, um, you know, a goalkeeper. But to me, I think, you know, centre-back... I mean, I really don't see an issue. Um, Maguire has to go, no, I, of course, but a, but a young centre back would be fine. Um, well, we'll wait and see on that one. But uh, Lindelof, Lindelof, the the two he draw was Spurs as well. I don't I think he was culpable in that in that game. Um, he's, he's played over three hundred times for the club, and I'm still not convinced uh, about him. He, he has strengths and weaknesses. Um, well, every player does, and he. Like we we've talked about it many times that he gets he gets bullied too easily, um he's not particularly quick, um I just I'm gonna disagree with you on that one there, but go ahead. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've seen you talk about him a lot when he ha- when he has like a a good game. I know you tweet about it all the time, um but I just don't I don't rate him as highly as what you do. Okay. Um, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people will agree with you, and a lot of people agree with me. Um, no, everyone I don't want this to turn everyone into the. Uh, I don't want <laughs> to this to turn into the beyond the beyond the pitch my night podcast where it's a sparring session oh. between you and Al McGuigan. <laughs> so, uh, but but yeah, I just want to say I don't I don't I think he is a, a, a decent backup, but uh, I do think that if Kim and Jay came in, he would be ahead of Lindelof in in the pack uh, That's another thing uh, that. Lindelof did say in a press conference when he was away with Sweden that he would have to evaluate his situation in the summer. So he might not be satisfied with his game time and might want Very to possible. leave himself. Very possible. Um, and I have no doubt that he would be highly in demand if he wanted to leave. The other clubs would certainly be all over someone like Victor Lindelof. I think he'd walk into most teams in the Premier League. So um, he's certainly a much more saleable asset than Harry Maguire. So it's very possible that someone of that quality would not want to be sitting in the um, sitting third choice centre back. Um, but you know, but, the reason why Victor Lindelof wouldn't be happy is because he doesn't play enough. Because he doesn't play enough ahead of Rafael Varane and Lissandra Martinez. That would be exactly the same as any defender that's coming in. So you'd have to say to Rafael Varane. You're being replaced because he's not going to sit in the bench either. Yeah, let's let's assume that we do have three great options at centre back: um, Ferran, Martinez, and Lindelof. That's still not enough because 
Um, like well, we've seen, the, the, we, the, we've picked up a lot of injuries in that, that position, and we always do in every season. So we need at least four senior centre-backs, I think. But look, look, okay, but look how many games Harry Maguire started this season. Let me tell you. That's because Luke Shaw has been favoured ahead of him by the manager. Okay, and this is exactly what I'm saying. Right? So when you bring another centre back in, right? Um, you you have to bring them in for one of two reasons. They have to start, which is fine. Then you have to choose which one you want to drop Maguire Veron or Verano Martinez. It won't be Martinez. Or they have to sit on the bench, right? So Harry Maguire um has started seven Premier League games this season and most of those happened like three of those happened in the last few weeks because of um Martinez's injury. Um now that's an eighty million pounds at the back. So um if you want to bring in another centre back, you have to decide you're either gonna break up the centre back pattern that you have or you could bring in someone that's gonna be a fringe player which usually is a young centre back. So I think um to be realistic that's you know we'll look at two quality centre backs because you don't rotate in that position and then you bring in two I mean, if Lindelof with the young centre back, I think is really competent back four, especially when you can play Luke Shaw in there. Um, well, let's see. Um, obviously, uh, Tin Hag will decide what areas he wants to prioritise, um, with a, probably a, a, a somewhat limited budget. Um, no matter who is in charge, because United have to meet. FFP requirements because they've 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 earned up almost nothing in in the last ten years through player shields and it seems like it's going to catch up with us. Um, but obviously FFP seems to be optional for certain clubs and I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, so let's move on to another position. Um, there's a young midfielder, um, Amadou Onana. Uh, Aberdeen who could potentially come in as a backup to uh, Casemiro. Um. Obviously, just, it's, just, it's just been rumoured. I don't really know if Tenag is really interested in this player or not, but it wouldn't be an interesting option. Um, now, it's long been talked about that we need, need to have a, a backup for Casemiro because when he is not available through suspension or whatever, um, there's no direct replacement and we're having to you know, play McTominay or Fred in that position who who don't fulfil, the, don't have the same qualities as, as Casemiro. So do you think it would be sensible for us to bring in uh you know, a direct backup for, for Casemiro, someone like Onana? I don't think it's a direct backup. I think it's someone that can also play in Casemiro's position, but someone that's ready to start. Um, when United don't have that Casemiro player, they drop Ericsson back there, or they drop <coughs> Bruno back there. Neither of them are particularly great at it, um, but they're building attacks from deep. They don't have you much defensively, and they don't track runners. So it's not ideal. Um, so whoever you needed to send in the summer as a midfielder has to be something that's ready to start alongside Casemiro. Put Ericsson back to being a, you know, a, 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 an impact player, a substitute player. We're not starting every week, which you just can't do. So the midfield three of Casemiro, another one, and Bruno, really what what you what you need to be targeting, someone that has legs, someone that has you know is in the prime of their career. Um, you know, so I think that's a very expensive fix. Alexis McAllister, I think, would have been perfect for it. Um, obviously, you want the Frankie De Jong in there, that type of player that can net mid, you know, mid, you know, transitions from defence midfield to attack. That gives you something defensively, gives you something offensively. That, um, 
you know, so I think um, every United bag can't be necessarily a backup to Casemiro, but someone that can do what Casemiro does. Yeah, we do need to, to have someone who can who can fill in for him. I mean, uh, much as I said, they have two players in every position, and if like if Rodri wasn't available, um, they can play Calvin Phillips there, who they haven't used much, or they can play uh, one in that position. Um, we don't we don't have those kind of options. Um, so uh, I also want to talk about the the goalkeeper situation. Um, yeah. Sometimes it astonishes me how many goalkeepers United actually have on the books, but um, a lot of them are out of contract this summer. Um, obviously, Butland's uh, loan deal is expiring. Heaton's deal is expiring. Um, De Gea's deal is expiring, uh, but we all, we're all expecting him to sign a new contract. Um, but we're being linked with a Dutch goalkeeper from Anderlecht. Um, could, do you think he could, could come in and be a rotational option in his first season with a view to eventually uh, replacing David De Gea, if that goes ahead? What do you think, Phil? No, I don't think he will rotate in the goalkeeping position. I think if they send someone to be a goalkeeper, they're bringing someone in to replace De Gea. You know, rotating goalkeepers is a mug's game. He never tried this before. I remember when Taibi came in, and, you know, even De Gea, when he first came in, they were trying to give him game time ahead of Van der Sar in anticipation for him um, taking over. What, it was in what I mean, is a cup goalkeeper, if you know what I mean? A cup goalkeeper, not necessarily. Yeah, you know, but, the, but then you have the same problem that I'm just talking about Kim and Jai. So, you know, what top goalkeeper wants to come in and be a, goal, a cup goalkeeper? And so well, you bring in a young goalkeeper, but young goalkeepers need to play. So, you know, it's a very, very difficult position to fill. And if you look at most clubs that are dealing with backup goalkeepers, they're experienced goalkeepers that aren't quite good enough to be a number one anymore. I mean, you take a look at that throughout the league, you know, no one rotates their goalkeeper. Um, City, you know, left Edison out, put in young Ortega for a week or something, you know. But I think... Um, it's a really hard position that's the backup goalkeeper to fill because most goalkeepers that are good enough have the option of playing first team football and most that aren't are usually experienced or too young. So if Bart uh, Verbruggen comes in, you expect him to start then? No, if he, if he's going to be brought in, if you're not, you're not bringing a young goalkeeper to rotate then, you know, that won't happen. Um, they'll bring in another experienced goalkeeper that like Dubravka, like, you know, Jack Butland, those types of goalkeepers were, you know, if they had got something to get injured, they'd be able to trust them. Young goalkeepers, a huge risk. And, uh, well, I De Gea himself was a young goalkeeper. Yeah, but De Gea was coming into a Premier League winning team with probably the greatest manager in world football, um, coming into a team of experienced winners. And even then, he still struggled. So, I think, um, for Ten Hag to do that um, in a team that still hasn't won anything really you know, even Diogo Costa the Porto is young and um, I think if you need are going to go down the road of replacing De Gea uh, with someone of you to replace De Gea I don't see them going for some random kid in the Belgian league that's fair um, but the only thing is 
our, our budget needs may be elsewhere. So he might have to get creative if he wants to bring in a goalkeeper. Yeah, but this is the thing, like, whether they have to get creative or not, right? So this is why I don't think they're going to replace the hair this summer because there's more and more pressing needs and exactly why Kim Benja, I don't think, will come. Is that um, most of the United's budget is going to go on a striker, whatever he ever buys a football club. Then you deal with other needs after that. You never want to win the league next year, okay? So they're not going to have a consistency to overturn Manchester City, but they need to get closer. And that's organic growth. Um, next summer, if they need one or two players, which is when you'll know they're ready to challenge, then they can spend a lot of money on a goalkeeper. Then they can spend that type of money. But you know, if it's a blank checkbook, would 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 um, Ten Hag replace the hair? Yeah, probably. Uh, is it true that um, Ten Hag uh, fell out with Andre Onana, his goalkeeper at Ajax, who's now at Inter? Or no idea, man. I'm not close. That's what I've heard from a couple of people, and other people have said different things. Um, he obviously would be an option uh, if if United could afford to bring him in. Um, yeah, so it, it's we've no idea. What keeper we're going to sign, or what oh, centre forward we're going to sign, or no, anyone? Not even Ten Hag knows that. Now, this this story has been doing the rounds today, I and mean, we we might as well talk about it because it's a uh, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Now, the man that was linked with United last summer, before Casemiro came in, before the four 0 defeat to Brentford, Adrian Rabio, um, who seemingly is his mother ruined the deal with her demands. Uh, is now going to be a free agent this summer, and supposedly Ten Hag might want, might revisit this one. And the player himself um, has improved massively on last season. He has 11 goals in 44 appearances. It's zero goals in 45 the season before. Um, you could argue that he's, he's, he's a player who's his contract's running down and he's, he's playing for a contract elsewhere. Um, do you realistically see Ten Hag revisiting Adrian Rabio this summer? Yeah, United need squad depth. You know, and again, the reality is it's very hard to get that when you're going to be limited on what they can spend. So I think Rabio would be a really good addition to the squad. Um, I'd be worried if that was their flagship signing over the summer. We all concern me, but if it's about adding squad depth, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, he's someone that. Again, they go stomp with the hair. If someone gets injured and that he's your starter, you can throw Robbie away and you can trust him. You know, so I don't think um I don't think uh, I think we have to trust Ten Hag to seasons. They won't always be popular, but if he wants Rabio, um yeah, I would be I'd be perfectly fine with him. You know, I mean he got a free transfer last summer and Christian Eriksen, no problems. And then that would, Christian Eriksen has been a really good sign if you need it. Uh, okay, everybody joining us uh, in the comments, uh, please subscribe to the podcast and give me a wee like on the video. Um, now, I just want to uh, talk about the centre forward position. So we're still absolutely no closer to, to working out who United are going to sign in this crucial, crucial position. Um, who who would your preference be, Phil, in terms of a number nine sign in the summer? I think uh, Big Osman would be perfect for United. I think when you look at Ten Hag, he likes big, tall strikers, number nines. 
Um, we wanted that Boston <laughs> Haller. No, no, but I mean it's true. You know, his reason why I wanted Cesco, his reason why I wanted Ronaldovic. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> his reason why I wanted those types of players, um, because they all fit a certain profile, and I think Osman would fit that certain type of profile for what Ten Hag wants. Um, very different from what you need to have up front. Um, I think a top goal scorer won't just. Uh, isn't just essential, but we'll also bring out the best in Jaden Sancho, we'll bring out the best in Anthony, we'll bring out the best in you know, its midfield because it's, you know midfielders get confidence from assists when strikers start converting. You know that confidence goes right through the team, it goes right through the players, and so it's fun. It's a really really important signing. You have to be careful, like when Carlos Ramos, whatever, you look at Darwin Nunez, you know, a lot of money was spent and he's miles off the Premier League level for me, so I think Osman would be perfect. Would Osman not be the most expensive option of all? Um, could that not be like 130 million euros or something? Could you see United going that high? Yeah, but then why spend 100 million on someone that's you're not really worth? It's not really worth that. I'd rather spend 130 million on someone you really want than 90 million, 100 million on someone you're not really sure about. You know, so um, I don't want to spend also much chase in Harry Kane and for Daniel Levy to turn around and say, you know, three days before the window, he's sending a new contract. Yeah, that would be my worst fear as well. Um, Kieran Kennedy here in the comments says Ollie Watkins would do a good job at United. Uh, do you think he could potentially be a, a Dwight York style signing for United? What do you think? I think United are looking for someone that Ollie Watkins has had a good season and certainly done well under Rene Emery, but I think for United they're going to look for someone that's a little bit more uh, proven at the very, very highest level where Watkins hasn't done that in the Champions League. Um, you know, that, and plus, getting them out of Villa would cost an absolute fortune, so I don't think that will happen, though. No. Um, Danny here is still a huge fan, fan of Benjamin Sesco. I know you've talked about him a lot, Phil, on your podcast. Are United still looking at him? Uh, I haven't asked in a while, mate. I know that they certainly liked him last season, and I know that they weren't exactly put off by the fact that he, you know, could go to Leipzig. And you know, I know, um, obviously they do a lot of business, and you know, Leipzig could sell him from, um. You know, so I, I don't think it's an issue, but yeah, I, I like him. I think he's a he's a very very good striker, but he's really young, and to have him as the starting strikers would be a big risk. Paul here mentions Ivan Tony. Uh, that would be an exciting option, and also um, Mickey or Nicky here mentions I, Ivan Ferguson. Uh, he's a he's a player. I'm sure both of us would want at United for. For more than just his ability, <laughs> because of his his nationality as well. Evan, anything to Evan? Sorry, um, I keep Evan uh, Ferguson just saying new contract, Evan, yes. and he needs to stay though for another couple of years, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I I uh, I think Evan Ferguson's a really good striker, um, but he's in the right place. Uh, well, who was the other one? Evan Tony. Yeah, but he's going to get suspended due to the batting scandal. So very good player, like. Um, my mate sold him Don McCantney from Peterborough rates him really highly um, but um, I don't see that happening because I think he's going to get suspended for quite a while oh dear um, yeah there, there's so many options out there it, it's hard to know who United are going to go for um, I, in an ideal world we'd want a, an experienced striker who's going to guarantee us 20 league goals and then maybe a younger striker to, to 
is understudy, um, but I don't know whether we're going to have the budget f for both of those things uh, this summer. Um, somebody asked here, uh, Dixon asked here, is uh, is Mason Greenwood coming back? Uh, I don't Not see that happening. Okay, I didn't didn't don't really want to talk about it either. But there's a certain section of the online fan base who you continually bring this up. I'm, I'm going to keep talking about it, um, but I, I don't see it yeah. happening. Um, no, I'm, I'm not going into it, so um, it's not for me to say. Yeah, yeah. Donnie agrees with what I was saying. Um, we need experience on youth uh, two strikers. Is that Jared Burner? Because um, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, this is like an echo chamber, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah, I think Martial and Vekor should probably both go this summer, Phil. Do you, do you reckon that yourself? Vekor, they can see Martial. I mean, but hard for me to assume that there's a sport director out there saying we need to strike. I look and imagine they didn't go on the Marshall's the answer. I mean, the risk is massive. I mean, maybe if he had covered his wages, uh, he'd go somewhere else, maybe. But does he have a body that's capable of playing professional football anymore? I don't think so. Maybe he's tough a little bit. Yeah, he's well, he, he's scoring, scored a few goals lately, so maybe that'll help his cause um, with finding a, a club in the summer. But yeah, he's got one year left on his deal. And his, his, his wages are enormous, so it's going to be hard for United to get off the books. Like you say, it's probably have to going to be a loan where United cover, you know, some of his wages. Um, but Vegas has done nothing to to earn a a permanent deal at the club. Um, very likable guy, and and nobody works harder than him on the pitch. But he just doesn't bring enough quality to the table. I'm afraid. Um. Paul here says Robbie Keane's back at Leeds. He would do a job. Mm. <laughs> uh, somebody says um, at the weekend, Solskjaer was at the game, that we should bring Solskjaer down and play him. He would, His finishing would be better than some of our forwards, mm. uh, even now. Um, yeah, it's 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 really hard to, to predict who the, the signing is going to be in that position, on in any position. Um, and, and what you're telling me is that we're going to sign no one until July is... Well, how can they? It's... God, that's... That's ridiculous. Um, so <laughs> Did you really expect the, that? The no. So the Gleaders have been irresponsible owners right to the bitter end then. Um, the, Mate, come on. It's been 17 <laughs> years. They really, couldn't even do us a favour and tell, you know, years, tell the club in I May. Mean, look, you know what these people are. They don't care. They just don't care. So do they care that United won't get the players they want this summer? Why would they give a shit? That's, they're sitting in Florida. It's irrelevant to them. So, you know, they're certainly not going to, you know, shave a few hundred million off United's price so United can get some new players this summer. I mean, four of the six siblings don't care about United. Yes, there's more than one of them behind me. There's three dogs in the house. Over here, what's that one? What do you want that right there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a real nice dog you have there, Phil. Which one? There's a three on it. Um, I, I don't only see it. one. Yeah. No, you know what? They're hemming because they're starving. You think it? I'll see you. I want to see you. <laughs> Uh, harass me. 
Because mm. you've been doing back-to-back podcasts and they're getting a bit fed up. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I've covered just about everything unless somebody else wants me to to talk about something else. Um, I, uh, yeah, Kieran here mentions Charlie McNeil. Do you think we're near the first team next year? I don't see it happening next year. Probably be, not next uh, year. No, I mean he's out on loan. You know, so um, he's at Newport, isn't he? So um, I don't think he's at that level. So um, you know, he's a talented kid going from City, but the jump is massive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll go. We need to uh, be at the championship maybe, uh, level for at least club. a year. I mean, you, well, you look at a Mad Diallo. Yeah. You know, Mad Diallo will be brought back, I'm sure, but he had to play really well at the championship for Charlie. He's going to have to play really well at a level like that for even to be a consideration. Do you think Ahmad is going to come in and compete with Anthony for that right wing berth next season? Um, definitely think he'd be a consideration whether they play on the right or play on the left. I think Jaden Sancho is the one that's going to have to really step his game up. But I think Jaden Sancho will benefit from having a top class striker at the football club. Um, but um, you know, they've done the right thing by leaving him mad. They were talking about bringing him back in January, and I know they've had some injuries. They definitely could have contributed, but I think he will benefit from having been at Sunderland for the last six months, especially playing at that level. And um, I think for it. Yeah, some of his goals have been absolutely spectacular. Yeah, I'd love to see that at United next season. Um, so just finally, I want to ask you about Alejandro Garnacho. How excited are you about this player? Man, someone just asked me about Evan Ferguson. Oh, you take a look at Garnacho's numbers compared to Evan Ferguson, and I'm excited about Evan Ferguson. He's a young Irish kid, I want to see him do well. But you take a look at Garnacho. And we talked about the absence and the consequence of losing people like Varane, Martinez, Ericsson, you know, players like that, you know, even Riceford, which was had enormous impact. But so too Garnacho. I mean, you look at that Fulham game, how many times has Garnacho come off a bounce in games last ten minutes, rescued United? Um so many times he's been worth you know, he's worth uh, you know, for me at least six to nine points. I refuse to believe in all the games that he was out that United wouldn't have taken points out of those if he had have been fit. Like, I, you know, I look at that Southampton game a lot, or I look at other games where I feel like Garnacho um, would have, you know, would have definitely made a difference away to Brighton. He definitely would have made a difference, you know, even in the Brighton semi final. I, I, I think that he's been a huge loss. Yeah, uh, I think if we are somehow going to overcome Manchester City in the FA Cup final. I think Garnacho is going to have to produce a bit of magic in, in that match. Um, probably Rashford as well. And we might get a draw and get to the penalties. Um, by the way, if we do go to penalties in that game, do you think it would be a sem- sensible uh, sensible by Ten Hag to do a Van Gaal and bring on a Butland for the penalty shootout? What do you think? <laughs> if I'm on to get that far. Well, given given the his track record and saving penalties, mate. You know, um, I don't think there's many worse options. So, um, I, you know, so I really don't think that game will go to penalties, though. Because you're anticipating a, an absolute mauling. Uh, is, that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the reasonable expectation, but... Um, you know, United will never have a better incentive to stop City winning the treble than to have it in their own hands. And I would like to believe that no matter what happens, win, lose or draw, it's not a moment that United players come off that field with a sense of pride and respect and the fact that they've been mauled at Anfield, they've been mauled at City and then stop letting this happen. 
Um, j just one last question, uh, and uh, from Matt here, he says, "Will Will Jim clear the debt if he takes yeah, over?" Yeah, he has to clear the debt. So the debt, I mean, for most of the most part, the debt will be cleared, and if the money that he borrows will be borrowed against his assets, not United. That does not concern me. If the Glazers went out and borrowed a, whole, a billion tomorrow and paid off the debt and borrowed against their assets, it would be great. So um, I don't think Jim Ratcliffe's uh, you know, borrowing is really an issue. Um, people have their own opinions on who they want to buy the football club. It's a target to them, but it's really important they understand basic finance and why. That no matter who buys the club, it's not going to be unlimited transfer funds. And um, you know, Jim Ratcliffe... Owning United's debt is not a concern. Okay, yeah, Patrick O'Shea here is, is mentioned Alvaro Fernandez. I think he's on loan at Preston. I think he's had mm. a good season. Um, that would be an interesting option at left back. We, when we play Shaw at centre back, um, we we miss him at left back. So we don't really have. We we're playing Dallow. He's right footed, obviously. And Malassia, he's still a young kid, is not doesn't have the same ability going going forward as Luke Shaw. If we could, you know, when Shaw is playing centre back, I want to have a you know an adventurous left back there, and maybe Fernandez could provide that option in, in the future. But let's see. But thank you for coming on, Phil. It's been a pleasure, pleasure as always. Matt. My pleasure. Thank uh, you for having me. Please, everybody. No problem at all. Please advise, subscribe to the podcast, drop us a like on the video and get more of your comments in. And I will see you later then, Phil. Just a little bit. See you later, mate. Night.